Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and level five witch, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and sweet, lumpy minion, Noelle <laughs> LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Checkpoint, the 12th episode of season five. Checkpoint aired on January 23rd, 2001 and was written by Douglas Petrie and Jane Espenson and directed by Nick Mark. As always, Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. But just because we all know what's going to happen doesn't mean there won't be surprises. <laughs> Baby, if that girl's the only thing between me and my key, I don't need much time. Let's go on patrol. In Checkpoint, Giles announces in a Scooby meeting that the Watchers are coming to town with information about Glory. No one is happy about this, least of all Buffy. Honestly, I really can't handle almost being killed right now. At Glory's, her minions inform her that the signs of alignment are moving faster than expected and she's got to get the key from Buffy if her plans are going to work. Meanwhile, Quentin Travers shows up at the magic shop, shuts it down, and says they're going to subject Buffy to a review. We need to know that this information is safe. Glory sends a minion to Ben who tells him that Buffy is the slayer and that Glory wants to know where Buffy lives. He refuses, beats up the minion, and sends him back to Glory all bloody. Back at the Magic Box, the Watchers Council shares their plans with Buffy. They're going to test her fighting, question her methods, and interview her team, and then they will decide if they're going to share what they know about Glory. But I think your Watcher hasn't reminded you lately of the relative status of the players in our little game. They threaten to shut down the Magic Shop and deport Giles, and then interview everyone on the team. They test Buffy on fighting styles she doesn't use, and when she reverts to her own effective fighting style and whoops their asses, she apologizes and goes home to find Glory waiting for her. Long day, sweetie. Glory wants her key and threatens to kill Dawn, Buffy's mom, and all of her friends while making Buffy watch if she doesn't hand over the key. Buffy brings Joyce and Dawn to Spike so he can protect them. I don't think I need to remind you, but... Yeah, yeah, anything happens to him, I'll stake you good and proper. Sing me a new one sometime, eh? That bit's gone stale. Buffy rushes to get to the magic box to meet with the council, but on her way in, she's attacked by three knights in medieval garb. She presumes they work for glory, but as it turns out... So long as you protect the key, the Brotherhood will never stop until we destroy it and you. Buffy lets the guy go and goes into the magic box where the council is waiting to tell her whether she's passed their tests or not. Instead, she comes to realize something. She has the power here. Glory could have killed her, but didn't, because she needs something from Buffy. So do the Watchers. She tells them how it's going to be. They're going to give Buffy their information, they're going to rehire Giles and pay him retroactively since the time of his dismissal, and then they're going to go away until they have more information for her. They agree. She sits down and asks what they know about Glory. What is she? She's a god. Oh. All right, Noel. So here we are at Checkpoint. And I have to say, this has always kind of been one of my favorite episodes. So I'm going to put that out there right at the beginning. Not that you <laughs> would ever be shy about disagreeing with me if you hated it. But I'm really curious to know, what did you think about Checkpoint? I don't hate it. I actually really, oh, really like it. Um, I really There are a lot of things I really, really like about mm -hmm. it. And uh, we're going to get into all of them, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I think we probably will. Yeah. One, one of the first things, though, that I wanted to talk about with Checkpoint is that this is one of the, I think, the first places where we really, like, dig deep into this whole idea of it's about power, which is something that we're going to revisit again in season seven with Buffy actually saying it's about power. That's the opening salvo of the seventh season. Um, but right now, um, we're really getting into this kind of like direct looking at the fact that Buffy as a show is in many ways an examination of power and patriarchal power specifically. Um, while the patriarchy seems to be just about the power of men over women, it's really more complicated than that. It's about a particular kind of power that men tend to accumulate and the methods that they use to grab it. So a woman's womanness or any not a man's not a manness doesn't mean that they can't be active and contributing members of the patriarchy. And as we all know, white women are typically the handmaidens of the patriarchy because the power of the patriarchy pairs really well with white supremacy 
it's like red wine and beef. And we have typically <laughs> chosen, we as white women, to be submissive to the patriarchy if it protects our whiteness and will do our bidding when what we want doesn't conflict with what it wants. Um, and if there are any white women out there listening who are offended or who take issue with that idea, then welcome. You must be new here. Back to my point, the fact that a woman is present on the side of the patriarchy or engaging in patriarchal methods of power accumulation does not make it not the patriarchy. So when we see women, people of color involved in the Watchers Council, that does not make it any less the white male, you know, power structure that it is. Um, and here the watchers are absolutely representative of classic patriarchal power. I mean, yes, there's a woman present on their side, but that doesn't make them not the patriarchy. So the fact that Xander and Giles are working in this particular moment against those patriarchal forces doesn't mean that Buffy's side is also patriarchal just because there's men there. It has nothing to do with the people who are moving. It has to do with like the kind of methods of power that the patriarchy has. I mean, would you agree with that? Uh not really? Well, no, I'm it's such a it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated, but and the thing that that I continue to fall back on always is a writer's room put this yes. together. Yes. Yes. So you can't forget that this is written. Yeah. Mm. So this is, you know, this is a product of a of a writer's room writing and everything that that entails. And I think if you wanted to do a really complicated breakdown of patriarchal structures mm -hmm. within within the, the world of the show and yeah. the relationship between the Slayer and her Watcher and then the Watcher and the Watcher's Council, mm -hmm. it's really... That, that's longer than we have. Than we have necessarily like, time like, for. No, but I guess like the, the point that I'm making is that there is the patriarchy, but it's not just men who participate in the patriarchy. No, you know? it's, and it's, it's not, not just because not the patriarchy. Fight it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the patriarchy isn't isn't men. It's a system of oppression that is built to benefit men. Right. But yes. it's not. Like, I mean, the Watchers Council themselves kind of are the patriarchy. Like, if we they embodied as like if much we an wanted embodiment to, of the patriarchy. Yes. If we wanted to take, if we wanted to take structures, oppressive mm -hmm. structures, and make them into people, that is yes. what the Watchers Council is. And I think oh, we see yeah. that here more clearly than we probably ever have. I mean, helpless. With the exception sucked. of maybe helpless. I was yeah. gonna say helpless yeah. sucks. Mm -hmm. When you're like, oh, they this is like not not only is this deliberate, but it's like systematic and pervasive and very effective. Right. Um, but yeah, the the whole the Watchers Council just sucks. That's, oh that's yeah, and you get you get Travers' whole you know the Watchers Council remains, but the Slayers change. Which by the way, fuck you, Travers. You know, which like um, true, yeah. but also gross. My but dude. also like, because you are treating the Slayers as though they are expendable and disposable and all of that, and so there's there's so much to unpack in that. But I mean, the general structures, you know, are fluid you know and how we use them and fight them is also fluid it doesn't mean you know they or any of our women won't fall into patriarchal power structures you know that's that's all there and glory actually i kind of thought as i was thinking about this i'm like glory you know is is clearly presenting female right mm -hmm. you know but she's engaging i think in patriarchal forms of power grabbing right like one of the classic forms of patriarchal power grabbing comes from gaslighting right turning a victim against themselves making them believe they have no power so they succumb to yours you know and the reason for this of course is that keeping everyone under your thumb through physical violence and domination, you know, uses a lot of resources. It's fucking exhausting, right? So the patriarchy <laughs> learned long ago that if you get into people's hearts and minds, you can get them to control themselves through cultural forces, storytelling, and especially religious power structures. I mean, why do you think that only men can be priests? That priests can't even get married to women? <laughs> Because women might have some kind of influence over them and priests and, and this religious power of storytelling, right, has had been a huge source of power in the past, you know? And I mean, it continues to be, I think, less so now than it was, you know? Um, and, you know, witches, right? Witches are women 
who have like access to feminine spiritual storytelling, right? And that was so powerful that any woman who dared to push back against the patriarchy was quote unquote tried as a witch and mm-hmm. killed like for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at Glory and the way that she uses that intimidation with Buffy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're a bug. I can squash you. You should just give me what I want. You know, all of those things, all of those stories that she's telling Buffy, right? At the same time, Buffy's right. She could kill me, but she didn't Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. she needs me, you know, and then recognizes her own power in that. So, um, so I find that interesting because I think that Glory is, you know, she's got the physical threat, the domination, uh, the gaslighting, all of these like classic, you know, like the five fingers of the patriarchy, right? Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that Glory is, even though presenting as a woman, right, grabbing power the way that a man does? Or the way that mm. male structures do. The way that men are encouraged to, maybe? I think I, I think she's she, I think she's working from the patriarchy's handbook, right? Long pause as I no, contemplate. I'm interested. I mean, like, like, these are things that I'm just thinking about. I'm not hundred percent sure. I but I'm just kinda like throwing them out there. Read, I don't read Glory's domination as particularly patriarchal in Mm -hmm. nature it's definitely she's got to to me she has more of a like a shadow matriarch Mm -hmm. kind of a thing going um we've already established her as having as speaking i mean she speaks about herself in kind of maternal terms Mm -hmm. i want to say it's in the first instance that we see her she talks Mm -hmm. about mommy's working Mm -hmm. she describes the discomfort that she's going through as birthing Mm -hmm. she has a very she has a very calm seductive kind of Mm -hmm. nature to her domination and control there's this beautiful moment where she's in buffy's living room and she's speaking to buffy Mm-hmm. And then just her eyes move over to Dawn. Yeah. And that feels very specifically femme fatale, feminine wiles kind of power to me in this. Interesting. In, in a, I control you in this, this kind of minutia of the movements of her face and body. She's very precise. Actually, one of the things I love about this episode mm-hmm. is that we get to see her be truly menacing. Oh, yeah. But I don't know that it's a patriarchal power. I She's definitely, she definitely engages in a kind of hierarchy sort of, hierarchical master slave dynamic i guess i mean that was a very long way of saying i don't know i don't think i don't think of her her evil her specific flavor of evil as being patriarchal and but maybe it really is just because she is couched in this trope of the femme fatale, the sexy, well, right. dangerous woman. Well, because the femme who fatale. Who is herself a product of patriarchal storytelling. So, exactly. again, writer's room. <laughs> writer's room, no. Like, but it's is... interesting, though, because she is pulling from the patriarchal handbook with this one-two punch of physical domination and gaslighting. And then, in order for her to be a femme fatale, though, there has to be a man whose power she is trying to take, because that is the essential you know, using a woman who uses her sexuality to, you know, take a man's power, to use a man's power to, to, to you know, right. fool she a is man. The, like, that's about men. She is his downfall. Yeah. Exactly. So without a man there, I'm not sure that you can be a femme fatale. I'm so interested. Like, all of this, by yeah. the way, for everybody who's going to be like, Lonnie's wrong. I might be. I'm just asking questions. Like, yeah. I honestly am not sure. This is an idea that I had as I was, like, going through and thinking about the power structures that are represented in this episode. So all of you guys tear it apart. Like, I'm not going to well, be offended at all. Okay. I have absolutely, I have no dog in this fight. I'm just kind of interested <laughs> in this question. Okay, so I said femme fatale because of how she is styled 
and yes, how she is she has styled that way. How she's styled, how she like moves through the world of right. the show. But you're absolutely right that a femme fatale is about she's called the femme fatale because she is about about a man's downfall. Like she exactly. is the reason that he falls. But all right, so what about Ben? What is the like the Ben Glory relationship is mm-hmm. interesting and problematic in this regard, right? Yeah. Because we know we know at this point that there's clearly a relationship between there's them. There's clearly a connection, right? There's something mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I don't know. Um but what mm, Yeah. You're right. I know, right? Right. Like she can't really be she can't really be a femme fatale. And I don't think she truly is one because she doesn't use she doesn't use her sexuality really her sexuality is not a weapon it is simply an expression yes right which, which makes uh, by it the way i think is much... very cool well and it makes it that much more troubling mm-hmm. in terms of her her menace and her her villainy like right wait a second her sexuality just exists that's not okay. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like that's she not has allowed. No shame about her sexuality. Like, how is this? I know. And that's all patriarchal gaslighting. And it's that's all back to this whole same fucking structure that's in there that even as you look at it, you are still in it. Right. <laughs> that's the thing that's, that's fucked about the patriarchal, like, you know, power structures is that you're still in it. You're still working with it. It is still a part of you. We are all part of it. Because you're raised in it to believe that these are the way things should be. And it takes such an incredible amount of energy and thought to be like, no, that's not right. You know, that's not how this works. You know, it's not how it should work. It's not a correct way. Um, Then to throw another like wrench in the works here, we've got the Knights of Byzantium, right? Which is, by the way ridiculous this whole like these knights in this medieval garb you know bringing <laughs> chain mail to a vampire fight like i don't even know what the hell that's all about but um but these guys are like the the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing they would ostensibly be on buffy's side they are anti-glory right but what they're willing to do to protect the world like they would kill dawn you know they would kill buffy Like, they Mm -hmm. just want to destroy everything to protect the world, and they don't care whether that's right or wrong. Um, And then, is it protecting the world right, though? Like, this is the point where I'm like, hang on. Right. If you're Buffy at this point, why don't you just kill Dawn? Uh, Because you can't. (laughs) Um, Oh, excuse (laughs) me. This is like. Because <laughs> Dawn like is haven't... innocent and Buffy is about stopping evil and protecting the innocent. If she kills an innocent to stop evil, then she is no longer Buffy. But it's not like we haven't had really problematic decisions that have to be made. Oh, yes. They're you just know, conscious of this. We're one. just gonna send. We'll just send anybody to hell on this show. It's fine. We're just gonna, you know. Yeah, we're just whatever. conscious of this one. I mean, this, but that's the thing. Like, you can't kill Dawn because Dawn is an innocent, and there are there are things that you cannot do, right? But these these guys would. And then we've got the other <laughs> male dominated religious order, right? You know, which is which are the monks who had this mystical energy, and they put it in the form of a little girl. Like the member of society with like some of the least power, right? You know, um, and then make her the responsibility of Buffy, a woman to protect, right? Uh, without consulting them, without consulting Joyce, which as you talked about last week, right, results in yet another goddamn mystical pregnancy, or at least the so mystical annoying. remembrance of pregnancy yeah. for Joyce, that Joyce had that experience. So all of this weight is carried by women. Right. And so these are the male orders, the male religious orders on one side and the other um, that are on one side putting all of the weight of of this problem on women. Right. And on the other side, going to just slash right through the girls to, like, finish it up, you know. Um, So I just like the whole the whole thing feels at, at once, very clear about what it's trying to say. And again, n- unclear and muddy in these other areas 
where I'm not really sure exactly what's going on. Like, and then again, it is, it is that, it is that constant mental muddle of here I am trying to look at something while I am inside of it, you know, and that makes it really freaking hard, you know, but then we have Buffy's realization and her speech to the council at the end of Checkpoint, which is one of my favorite moments in all of Buffy. You know, um, I love this whole speech. I love this whole thing. I'm going to excerpt it here in its completion because we're going to talk about it. <laughs> but I love it. There isn't going to be a review. Sorry? No review. No interrogation. No questions you know I can't answer. No hoops. No jumps. No interruptions. See, I've had a lot of people talking at me the last few days. Everyone just lining up to tell me how unimportant I am. And I finally figured out why. Power. I have it. They don't. This bothers them. Glory came to my home today. Buffy, are you... Just to talk. She told me I'm a bug, I'm a flea. She could squash me in a second. Only she didn't. She came into my home and we talked. We had what in her warped brain probably passes for a civilized conversation. Why? Because she needs something from me. Because I have power over her. You guys didn't come all the way from England to determine whether or not I was good enough to be let back in. You came to beg me to let you back in. To give your jobs, your lives, some semblance of meaning. This is beyond insolence. <clears throat> I'm fairly certain I said no interruptions. That was excellent. You're watchers. Without a slayer, you're pretty much just watching Masterpiece Theater. You can't stop Glory. You can't do anything with the information you have except maybe publish it in the Everyone Thinks We're Insano's home journal. So here's how it's gonna work. You're gonna tell me everything you know, and you're gonna go away. You'll contact me if and when you have any further information about Glory. The magic shop will remain open. Mr. Giles will stay here as my official watcher, reinstated at full salary. Retroactive. To be paid retroactively from the month he was fired. I will continue my work with the help of my friends. I, I, I don't want the sword thrown at me, but, but civilians, we're talking about children. We're talking about Two very powerful witches and a thousand-year-old ex-demon. Willow's a demon? The boy? No power there. The boy's clocked more field time than all of you combined. He's part of the unit. That's why they speak. I've clocked field time. Now, you all may be very good at your jobs. The only way we're going to find out is if you work with me. You can all take your time thinking about that. But I want an answer right now from Quentin. Because I think he's understanding me. Uh, your terms are acceptable. So we have this whole speech, right? We go through that whole thing. And then at the end, they're all cheering, right? Mm -hmm. And Tara, who is the primary victim of our last round of patriarchal power grabbing and gaslighting, says, I'm sorry, sorry for making noise. And I'm just at that moment when she does that, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is never going to end. It never ends. It never, it never ends. ends. Something I, I enjoy about that scene mm -hmm. so, so much is the Scoobies as audience in this yeah. scene that feels very much like a play. Mm -hmm. It feels very I mean, it's it's a four minute scene. Like it's a big chunk yeah. of our our television time mm -hmm. and it's mostly yeah. Buffy talking. Mm -hmm. 
but mm-hmm. we've got the, I love, I love so much that we have our, our peanut gallery there as mm-hmm. witnesses to her experience, but also as a reminder mm-hmm. that there is an audience for all of this, the, the awareness that we're doing something showy here yeah. on our show. Mm-hmm. It's just it always delights me when the show makes reference to itself in subtle yeah. ways and mm-hmm. acknowledges its audience by allowing supporting characters to kind of sit to in be an audience surrogate. Yeah. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. that it's really, really wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. But that moment with Tara, I hadn't quite I hadn't quite wrapped my brain around it. But you're exactly right that it's this little like. It's like, oh, we mm-hmm. did it. Oh, actually, we still are still working actually, on it. we still have a long fucking way to go. And this is the thing. How much of it is them looking at the patriarchy and being like, Tara apologizing in this moment, you know, just shines a light on all of this stuff that the battle is not even remotely won, right? Or... Is it just like, oh, wouldn't it be cute if Tara apologized here? Because she should, because she's a girl and she actually made a noise. Like, is that, <laughs> it's so crazy. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> I can't even, I mean, and the thing is, we could spend seriously all day doing nothing but unpacking the patriarchy in this episode, but there's lots of other stuff to talk about. Um, we probably should for a moment just have our, the Watcher's Council is fucking terrible moment, right? I mean- yeah, like, okay, I was going to mm-hmm. say separate from all of the power structures at play and, like, the implication mm-hmm. of, you know, decades, if not centuries of yeah. bullshit. But, like, it's not even separate. It's just a microcosm of all the centuries of, of bullshit. Yes. Quentin Travers has an assistant who makes him tea, who comes along on this transatlantic trip, but the Slayers don't get paid. Yes. Like. Yes. Like. I mean, yes. okay, and I super want to know where the Watchers Council money comes from. Oh, yeah. Because you know, you know, they have vats of money. They have oh, sure. shitloads yes, of money. Do. They're fucking loaded. Do, but like. They're the what? Amazon of the supernatural world, right? <laughs> but like where? Like how? How? I don't, Literally how? I imagine. Tithing? What? I, like, I don't I, understand. I imagine they have a thriving cafe press store. I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, is it donations? Is it, is it trust funds from rich people that then went to take that? And I mean, because if you imagine that at some point, like through the years, right, the Watchers Council has been funded. And then they took yeah. that money and invested and invested and invested and invested and invested in the years. And now they've just got a big permanent fund, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's my guess. I mean, it's... Because that sounds like a Watcher's Council kind of thing to do, right? I mean, unless it's like mystical, unless they're like, They have a mystical know? source of money? Which oh. would just... Wouldn't that be the shittiest, though? So like the frat that would be... from Reptile Boy were proto-Watchers. Maybe, maybe I. You know, you know I don't what I'm know. saying. Would not shock me. No, would not but shock like, me. Which makes it, of course, doubly shitty that they're like, mm, yeah, slayers are just disposable. And you notice that they don't come after Faith. Faith yeah. is still out there, yeah. not having her spinoff show that I so yeah. desperately want. Yeah. Still, yeah. Um, I love that they come after Buffy because, of course, mm-hmm. they do. Of course, they do. Of course, they fucking Buffy do. Buffy has the power. Faith yeah. does not have the power. They go where the power is because they want to take it because they're patriarchy. That's just—it's <laughs> all I have. A woman with power? What? We she's cannot have out. this. Oh, she thinks two she's women people. with power. The bad guy also is a woman and also has power. No, no, no. <laughs> we won't interfere with Adam or any of that bullshit. But there is a woman no. with power, and we can't have that, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, also the Watchers Council can't interfere with Adam for story reasons because that's more on the science fiction end of things. And that's the Watchers Council—they are strictly fantasy, they fantasy are only. Fantasy, yes, exactly. That does not fall Olden under timey our weapons. There's just your, no your no weird modernity. demon robot hybrids do not fall under <laughs> the aegis. Like, of yeah. our authority. Yes. No. Exactly. No. Exactly. No, but like a scary mm-hmm. a scary god who looks yeah. like a cute girl 
definitely. Yeah. Oh, and the this notion that like pass our test and then we'll tell you. I mean, I know that's the whole crux of the whole episode and we're supposed to be like, no, that fucking sucks. You can't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. But that like a will help you save the world or whatever. Um, right. But, you know, you have to prove yeah. with, you know, we're going to yeah. test your charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent first. Like, what are we going to? Oh, yeah. they suck so hard. They suck so hard. Yes. <laughs> Yes. By the way, now that you said charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, <laughs> just got it. Yeah. Just right now. That, just got it. That's what it Very is. Very nice. Very right? nice. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Glory because oh Glory is fucking amazing. You know how much I love Glory. I know. You, I, I love Glory too. I love Glory so much. Um, And when I remember this season, what I yeah. remember is Glory. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, duh, right? Because she's amazing yeah. and I love her. Yeah. But she isn't yeah. actually in that much of the season, at least so far. Um, right. Yeah. Which is surprising to me. Like, I remember mm-hmm. her being more present and maybe it's just that she is so huge when she is present. Um, right. But I love that this is the first time that we really get to see her be actually menacing and not just like super yeah. strong and throwing Buffy around. Mm-hmm. She's, oh my God, her surprise appearance at Buffy's house. She yeah. seems legitimately scary to me for the first time. Oh, um, yeah. Because she's yeah. so relaxed. Mm-hmm. She's so relaxed, which is one of my favorite things about Glory is when she's totally yeah. just like, yeah, ooh, stronger than humans, whatever. You right. know, she's. It's great. Um, And she also does a reasonable impression about caring about Dawn's side of the story, which I'm Mm -hmm. not sure Dawn falls for. But the fact that Lori tries it is oddly chilling, I think, especially because we know what Glory and Dawn don't know about what they are to each other. There's Mm -hmm. something super creepy about that beyond just the, you know, Glory's in, in Buffy's living room and mm-hmm. she's threatening her but not actually fighting her. There's something mm-hmm. super, super scary about her all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating to me that Glory gets to be this creepy, badass, evil monster woman yes. in the same episode where we first see her as a sweaty, shivering mess. Right. So we get her vulnerability in this episode and that doesn't at all take away from her her menace. Like, that's pretty, pretty cool. It's one of my favorite things about her that we can see mm-hmm. her, you know, completely falling apart. Yeah. And she's still a threat. She's still a serious threat. Yeah. That we take seriously as an audience that the show takes seriously. It's Good. kind of great. Um, it is. And that's another reason that I'm not sure I would lump her in with a kind of patriarchal villainy in the same way that we're used to seeing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know. I don't know that that's totally how her power and villainy functions. Their... But mm. right. I just I think she's playing from their handbook, though. Like it. it's a different flavor. But if it's, <laughs> if it's the same handbook, but it's not men doing it. What does that say? I mean, it's a question. Somebody in Discord will talk about it and be way smarter than I am. Because I'm just asking. I have no idea. It's just the question. Like, if they're the same <laughs> methods, if they're the same methods, is it the same thing depending on, on the identity of who's doing it? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. It's definitely know. an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, And she uses people... I mean, she literally uses people yeah, mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like is, it's interestingly gendered, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because Jinx and Drag bring her a mail carrier to eat yes. <laughs> or drink, as Jinx says. And we're oh. doing another humans as food monster moment, but it's so much yeah. cleaner than any eating or drinking of humans we've seen up to this point. Uh-huh. Um in fact, it's only the minions' remarks, you know, saying, oh, very good, yeah. delicious, you know, that put this in an eating space at all. And uh-huh. I wonder how much that has to do with this feminine 
presentation yeah. that she has taken on. Like, would this be, would this moment of draining the mail carrier mm-hmm. in a way that really looks when they're done like she has used him for sex and is kicking him out of bed (laughs) would it read that way if glory looked like the mayor i'm not sure it would interesting question i'm not sure it would um no i don't think it would i'm not sure it would and i love i just i i'm sorry i just love this whole scene i love the way she screams Mm -hmm. when she does it which is both unsettling and so delightful um yeah it's another reason i love glory is this kind of involuntary humanness that she has like i get the impression that this isn't really any fun for her the mayor (laughs) see i keep referencing the mayor because he's my other favorite big bad but also he he has that kind of relaxed power Mm -hmm. that glory has yeah um but he would the mayor always seemed to be having a lot more fun. Glory does not yeah. seem to be having much fun. Um No, in the, some, in the meat sack. Yeah, no, she's yeah, not enjoying that. Yeah. She's not having a good time. And there's something there's something about that that I really, really like. Um Yeah, she's not having a good time while at the same time being very into like the feel of the silk. You know, she's into the silk dress. She's into the high heels. She's into the makeup and the hair and the whole yeah. thing. Um, and I think it's I think it's because she genuinely like appreciates that element while at the same time being like, this is a stupid fucking meat suit and it cannot hold all my gloriousness. You know, yeah, um, yeah it's interesting. There have there are some benefits to being human, but the benefits mm-hmm. do not. um do not outweigh the meat sack. Outweigh yeah. the meat sack. I mean, <laughs> it is lonely and uncomfortable it. being in a meat sack. And I mean, honestly... every time Glory poops, she must be so fucking pissed off, right? <laughs> I cannot believe I have to do this. This is disgusting. <laughs> but I love it. Like, I yeah. love her. I love her distress at her own current state. Mm-hmm. I mean, being sucked of cognitive functioning is clearly terrifying on the human end of things. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's also really brutal on the God end. And I just yeah. want to know everything about that. Like, I just want to know more about what is happening, mm-hmm. like what is going on with her. She is a fascinating, fascinating force of evil. Yeah. Um, Especially because of the like the not quite punchline that I was alluding to earlier, where she's done with this mail carrier and they're sprawled out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And not only are they like sprawled out on the floor together in this kind of post-coital way, but suddenly yeah. she's wearing lipstick and her <laughs> hair is styled and her dress is steamed. Maybe all Tell her makeup and hair is magic. Know. She's got magic know. makeup and hair. That makes so much sense. Because I, I cannot see know. her doing her makeup every day. Like, I cannot see her engaging in that kind of very human ritual, you know? I mean, we That's see her look in a makeup mirror. I don't remember we if do. it's in this episode or in the previous episode, but she's, I think she's just admiring herself, though. She's, she's sort of doing, doing the like, oh, yeah. I'm fixing my face thing, but right. it's definitely a performance. It's affected. Yeah, almost no, for that's... the benefit of her minions. Which, well, why not? If, if you I mean, dance for the audience you got, right? I you guess. Know? Yeah. I guess. Also, I just really hope that there's some Buffy super fan out there who has now or has had pets named jinx and drag because i know aren't they great like I would, can't you see that, cats yes. named yes. jinx and drag, jinx and drag? absolutely <laughs> now i gotta get two more cats noel you, thanks so much no you do not you are i'm <laughs> cutting not. you off i have no i have way too many cats I you mean, are two cats is, away from a stereotype that's oh no for serious for serious <laughs> don't do um, it but i mean the thing is like technically you know, there's one for each of us. My two kids each have a cat and I have a cat. They just all live with me, you know. <laughs> so, so Technically, they're not your cats. You're just holding them for a friend. It's fine. You right, can stop anytime right. you want. 
I can stop anytime I want. Okay, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Ben. Okay. Um, Ben. So the other half of Glory, right, as right. we know, because this is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, right. as we told you before, Ben and Glory share a body, they swap back and forth. Um, but seriously, like, how many floppy-haired douchebags does one show actually need? Like, he I feel so like Buffy here. with the floppy-haired douchebags is like me with the cats. They just can't <laughs> resist another one, right? Is that just um, what but all have- men looked like in the early aughts? Did, like, every white man just have... The floppy hair douche. I would was say, that a I thing? would say mid nineties to early aughts. Yeah, I would say there was a lot of floppy hair douchebag going on. We got the <laughs> people go over at Gilmore Girls. There's a lot of that happening. Um, yeah, I think it's a thing. But the he- thing is, like, even though the hair has changed, like the soul of the floppy hair douchebag remains. I still see them today. I still see them today. The hair may be different, but the the absolute essence of the floppy hair douchebag. <laughs> is a, a persistent uh, archetype. Don't um, be so fooled we... by that sick fade. <laughs> <laughs> Still floppy hair underneath. Um, all right. So we have Ben, right? And he refuses to help yes. Glory. So there is that. But he also ordered Quellers to kill Glory's victims. And I have not forgiven that. So still a prick. Um, beats the hell out of this minion. Which, by the way, like, okay. The minions are doing... Glory's bidding, right? Yeah. Uh, so they are evil. Like, you know, they are they are tangential to evil, you know? Right. But they're still, like, you know, minions. Like, they're still not the ones, like, in power. So why does Ben have to beat the shit out of this guy rather than just say, tell Glory no? I, I don't know. Literally. Ben's an like- asshole is actually, I think, the answer to that question. <laughs> What is Ben's an asshole for 200, Alex? Like, what is... I actually enjoy Ben in this one yeah. scene he gets. The don't touch me, you're crusty line is so great. But yes. I don't... Okay. I don't understand what the hell is going on with the, the structures of control and servitude in glory... The glory Ben minion... Yeah. Situation. Power triangle, like, whatever what's that going is. On? Yes. What, like, what is going on? Like she tells the minions, you know, don't wait so long next time because uh-huh. she's, you know, suffering. But she runs her own errands to the magic box to get supplies. Mm-hmm. But and then, oh, go go get the Slayer's address from Ben. What? What? <laughs> How? Who? I don't get it. I don't get like it's it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. Um and I think maybe it's not supposed to make sense because we are putting all of these bits and pieces into place with Ben is right. glory, glory is Ben. Right. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Why does Ben have to beat up the minion? Because he can? Because he wants an excuse he, to beat up the minion? Because he's got rage issues is why. <laughs> I mean, the minion is just there, like, delivering a message, right? Like, I understand he's a minion. I understand he's, you know, like, a, a handmaiden to evil. Like, I get it. But at the same time, like, he's he's not in power, like he doesn't have the, the power minion. to make his own decisions. The minion seems like he's pretty much stuck where he is. So he's got to do what he has to in order to like survive to the next day. And just doing his job. Dude's doing his job. Right. You know, I mean, like, so like I get it. But at the same time, like beating the hell out of him, beating the hell out of my sweet lumpy minion. Like, um, yeah, it's just, it just seems it seems unnecessarily mean and also without an end to it like it's not like anything it's not like beating up this minion created an outcome specifically that required the beating of this minion right the sending him back bloody with the message and sending him back regular with the message same outcome right doesn't make a difference so ben knows this so the only reason why he beats up this guy is because he can yeah and i think that makes ben a particular brand of asshole that's my argument I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's it's not an argument without, without merit. <laughs> like, mostly, I'm just still so confused and don't know what to do with the whole 
Nobody like, cares about Ben. Nobody no. cares about Ben. And as we move forward in this season, we're going to have mild flirtation with Buffy and Ben, and it's going to be super fucking gross. It's going to be worse than Parker Abrams, Scott Hope. Like, <laughs> that is how bad it is. Uh, but yeah, we're going mean, to do it because he's floppy haired. Well, but that's also that's also why he has to be kind of a lot of a dick is that I mean, he is, as Glory says, well, of course he's attractive. Like, he's the cute guy on a TV show. Like, of course someone is going to be right. on the Ben Buffy ship. And we have to make sure that, like, no, just up front. Like, yeah. he's. Yeah, he that's is true. That's the, true. He has there the would be a huge of Ben Buffy ship, especially after Riley leaves, right? You know, yeah. uh, replace one floppy haired douchebag with another. And at least they didn't do that. At least Thank they God. didn't make him an actual real like romantic prospect for Buffy. So at least there's that. Um, all right. So we're, we've been talking about men and like how terrible <laughs> men are. And so I just want to take a moment and say the men out there, like, I'm sure you're fine. Um, but we've got these professors, <laughs> right? We've got I'm sure you're all very good boys. If you listen, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably you know okay, or at least on the path to okay. Like, I mean, I think you that tolerate. I think that the people who listen to this podcast are are like the best people. So you tolerate us howling and cackling. You tolerate and whatever all of our stuff. You're probably all right. But this professor is a fucking asshole. Now, also, like, is there something in somebody in Buffy? or on the writing staff went to college and just had a terrible experience because every professor is a fucking asshole. Like I teach college classes and never in a million years, if a kid came to me with critical thinking, would I not be thrilled? Yes. Let's talk about that. That is a really interesting idea. Let's talk about how weird it is that Rasputin would not die and maybe was a vampire. Let's talk about that. Like, um, you know, but this guy is such a dick. And here she is standing up. She's asking these questions, which, by the way, I think are like really interesting and super legitimate questions, considering that the world here has supernatural beings in it. You know, like that's her experience. Um, so I, I love the whole thing. But also, once again, here we have a woman asking a question, being belittled when she's fucking right. Drives yeah. me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just <laughs> Professor Asshat making no effort. Like, it's yeah. not it's not your student's job to be, like, thrilled by everything that comes out of your mouth. Like, separate, no. separate from him being a complete and total just douche nozzle. Like, he yeah. is... He is the literal worst. I mean, this guy He's is Watcher's Council material. Like, yeah. he is so bad. Um, <laughs> that is such an insult, too. You're Watcher's Council material. He really is, though. <laughs> no, like, check it out. He really is because he, the way that he, I was going to say debates, but it's not uh -huh. a debate. It's a berates. The way he berates her yeah. is he tells her that they're interested in what actually happened. Mm -hmm. It's called studying history. Right. Um, is that not, like, the most white supremacist <laughs> white i can't oh, even yeah. i'm like so no it riled is up. white that male is... this head bullshit everything because who wrote fucking history who decided exactly. what the truth was about history yeah yeah this idea your that story. what uh -huh. actually happened yeah is this one thing that you can point to because that's you have the truth. books that were exactly. written by the white men for the white exactly. people and that's what counts as exactly. history exactly this guy. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, honestly, for, for, such a stupid, for such a stupid short scene, right? Uh, the rage that it inspired on so many different levels. But a big part of it is, as our friend Dr. Kelly Jones would say, like bad fucking pedagogy, bad right? pedagogy. That is not how you teach. Like the thing is that the students have to be the one thing that kids need to learn now. And I'm talking from age like 
five up. Like when they go to school, it's critical thinking. We can look up facts on anything. We've got all of human knowledge in our fucking pockets. People need to learn how to think critically and question. But the thing is that the power structures don't want anybody thinking critically. They don't want anybody questioning. And since they can't just call you a witch and burn you at a stake anymore, they've got to do this shit, <laughs> right? You know, um, and it drives me crazy. And it's also not teaching. Teaching, like real teaching engages with questions and asks those questions and encourages those questions even when you as a teacher cannot answer the question you know you can at least engage with it and talk about it you know this is Um, how i know i'm old by the way yeah that i'm watching now i'm watching movies and tv shows and i'm like these teachers are the worst they're doing a bad job at teaching as opposed to teachers are the worst or even better you know, the parents really have a point. Exactly. <laughs> That's how I know. It's, it's this like... middle-aged viewpoint, right? Exactly. Like I suddenly I picked that up in like my mid-30s. The sudden like empathizing like, with, the, with the middle-aged characters in these shows who are not having their voices heard. Listen to you your know. mother, Buffy. Listen Come to on. Your mother for once, right? Uh so speaking of Buffy's mother, um Oh I God. ship Spike and Joyce and I ship them hard and <laughs> I love this relationship so much. I love them bonding over passions. And then we get such a little bit of dialogue about it, but we get two things. Do you think Timmy's really dead? Oh no, they can just sew him back together, right? You know, I mean, first of all, kind of a Buffy bot reference, but also a reference to what's gonna happen at the beginning of season six when we bring Buffy back from the dead. Um, and she is sewn together poorly and it takes a while to work all of that out. Uh, then we have this where Joyce says, what about the wedding? There's no way they're going to go through with that. And I'm thinking hell's bells, anyone? Like it feels like they just, you know, filled this dialogue and specifically had that in there so they could like tease what was going to happen without it being like obvious at all. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool, but I also really love the way that Spike is all about the cash until he sees that Buffy really needs him. And you see the click in his expression where it just changes. And he's like, all right, you know, I fucking love that. And I can't help it. I can't help it. I love Spike. I know he's a problem. Don't at me. I know. (laughs) okay so speaking of spike being a problem well maybe it's not a problem but it adds there's a great bit of visual spike is a creeper yeah (laughs) that happens when buffy comes to him in the the scene where it's that scene she has just come to him we're looking at her behind her in the background his buffy mannequin is supine and chained to a oh, chair. No. Oh <laughs> yes. no. Oh yeah. I have never seen that in all my years of watching it. And oh no. Okay. Oh, yes. Also, like on the one hand, perfect. Chef's right? kiss perfect. On the other hand, oh God. Right. Why, why am I so in love with this man? It's so bad. Well, because it's so bad. I think that there's I have talked about this in my personal life. The difference yes. between fantasizing about something and actually doing actually something. Experience, the you actual experience actually versus the fantasy. Want, Very you different. don't actually want to spike. But no. spike on the show is great. <laughs> and this is why fiction is great. Yes. But you have to be able to separate out the fiction from the reality, which is the thing. And sometimes that can be difficult to do. And that's why a character like Spike and a lot of these characters of these dark men, I believe, um, Penn Badgley's character and you, I haven't watched it, but I've heard about that, uh, that there are characters that are just truly, truly, truly terrible. And yet we ship them and, and being unable to put the line between the fantasy and the reality um yeah you got to be able to separate those out that's a that's a huge skill set of separating that out (laughs) so is the spike and joyce ship a romantic ship or do you just want them to like hang out and watch shows together mostly i want them to hang out and watch shows together and make the, the hot chocolate with the tiny marshmallows at the same time now that i'm in my identifying with the woman phase like with the middle aged people phase i'm like you know what Joyce is about Get to take it. a trip to the great beyond. Get it, girl. Like Get have it. some have some fun. I'm telling you, I know Spike is awful, but I will I will bet the house that he is amazing in bed. 
<laughs> and Joyce deserves that. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Tara. Yes, um, because Tara's I amazing. I love Tara. Right, I love Tara. I love <laughs> I love Willow and Tara talking about their relationship while being what is it? Lesbian, gay type lovers. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh God, no, I oh. meant your relationship with the Slayer. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> really just good friends. friends. <laughs> just friends. <laughs> Just friends. It's oh, so sweet. God. I love Tara. We're having this recurrent joke with Tara too, with Giles, where like every week she says something insulting about his Englishness and then starts to. And the thing that I, I think I love about it the most is that Giles is the, you know, like the British white man, right? The classic mm-hmm. colonizer, you know? And Tara gets so awkward when she realizes she's in the middle of saying something that might be insulting to him. You know? <laughs> I love that she still calls him Mr. Giles. Mr. Giles. I love that she has this very skewed view of yes. English people. Yes. She's like, but they're English. I thought English people were gentler than the normal regular people. people. <laughs> and then she just trails off. She's definitely, it, it plays into... Tara's own special world view. Right. And I we've lost that a little bit as she's gotten to be more a part of the group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tara's awkwardness, Tara saying the wrong thing or not quite the right thing. Yeah. And it, we've sort of folded it into her relationship to Giles and <sighs> getting caught up to get, sort of getting caught up on everything with the watchers yeah because then of course buffy comes back with like what is it she's like they're they're like they're like giles's and buffy's like yes they're terrible or whatever it is she says (laughs) it's like hang on (laughs) yeah well i mean you know like giles for all of and you know how much i love giles you know how much i love giles right but giles does represent and often sometimes expresses things that are you know a real problem i think yeah i think the joke i think the joke continues to be tara's tara is awkward right i think that you know coming out in this one particular way like her sorry at the end yeah the i don't think that that's meant to be i don't i don't know that that is yeah it's not meant to be anything but also just yeah writer's room (laughs) writer's room writer's room there's just something there's just something funny about it that i just kind of really really enjoyed um i also really enjoyed giles relationship with buffy in this um they have been building this up over time yeah you know um but they're finally a team you know, it's not that Giles is in charge and he tells Buffy what to do. It hasn't really been that way for a while, you know, since he quit the Watchers, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he was looking for kind of his place, his identity, you know, his role in the team. Um, but there was always this Giles is the adult and Buffy is the kid and they weren't equals. They weren't equals. Now they're truly a team of equals, you know, Mm -hmm. and he is not her commander. He is not her boss. He's working as a support person. The actual way that watchers, you know, should work. Um, She gets him his job back and retroactive pay. Like, I love that. And then when she says to him, they picked the perfect thing. I can't lose you. Right. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. relationship. I just love. And I love the tenderness in his eyes when he says, thank you. You know, like what that means to him. I love this relationship. It has been, you know, it started out as boss and um, employee and morphed into father, daughter. And now it feels so much more equal, so much more a team of equals who love each other as family, but they're equals. And I just I love it. It's definitely taken on the chosen family feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it when they're sitting in the dark and it's just the two of them. And they're having this very real conversation. And she says about the Watcher's Council, they're going to expect me to be a slayer and I'm just me. And that, for me, was the first time that the Buffy feels at odds with the slayer Mm -hmm. role really, really affected me. Um, And I think it's the way she says it to Giles. I think it's that she says it to Giles in this moment and that because they have built up this relationship where they are 
a team, she is able to articulate to him that there's being a slayer, which she's called to do. And then there's being a slayer in the way that the Watcher's Council demands that she be a slayer, that Mm -hmm. she pass all these tests and know all of these things and have all of this, you know, have like read the handbook or whatever it was that Kendra was all about. Like Buffy, Buffy is not, Mm -hmm. but not only can Buffy not do that, but she's never going to do that. And the way that she's able to acknowledge that with Giles in this moment, in this really quiet, mm-hmm. simple conversation that they're having is yes. so fantastic. It's so I fantastic. Know. It's so good. I love this whole thing. I love this relationship. And it just gets better, I think, as we go. Um, okay, so there was something in your notes that I took out and put <laughs> at the very end because it delighted me so much to my soul that I was like, this is a good thing to sort of start winding down the podcast on. And it is a section just simply titled, tell me more. (laughs) Just like, okay, this happens from time to time (laughs) with me and fiction. Mm -hmm. This show in particular, I will glom onto something and just, I just, I need to know everything. This girl, this girl that Giles is waiting on when Mm -hmm. the watchers arrive where is her spinoff show? <laughs> Witchy goth girl with the baby bangs who's turning someone into a badger? I mean, I need to know everything. Is that a whole badger turning book? Who is she turning into a badger and why? And if it's a revenge kind of thing, bad idea because badgers are tough. Oh. Is she building an army of badger familiars? Like, I love that. <laughs> an army what? of badger familiars. That is right? awesome. Yes. What? I mean, and badgers, is, we know if we've seen the fantastic Mr. Fox, which is a documentary. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. Badgers are demolitions experts. There you so, go. You know, it could yeah. be anything. Yeah. Um, but I just like she's so funny in the way she just kind of she has no lines, mm-hmm. but she exchanges these like knowing looks with yeah. Giles and even Quentin when he's like, mm-hmm. oh, to her, I wouldn't want to turn the wrong person into a badger, you know, like right. she's cool with. I don't know. I just I need to know everything about this girl, her story, her badger magic. I want to know everything. Yeah. And then. Possibly my favorite moment in the episode. It's definitely like in my top three favorite moments of the episode. Lydia wrote her thesis on Spike. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? I love it's that. It's so moment. adorable. Oh my I God. Love and that she's moment. so. I love, first of all, that it's three watchers and they have him at like not yes. only crossbow point, but also crucifix point just yeah. in case he tries anything. But she's fangirling over him. And of course, he oh, yeah. loves it because he oh, yeah. lives. He right. lives for the fame and the mm-hmm. attention. So funny. So good. But thesis? Is the Watcher's <laughs> Council also a school? That does Maybe. not bode well, does it? Like, right. you go and get your degree from the Watcher's Council? Oh, sure. Yeah, Ooh. you want to have professors yelling at you all the time because you're thinking critically? <laughs> yeah, that's where you go. Oh, Jesus. my God. Jesus, oh my God. it's terrible. All right, Noelle, what are you wearing? Buffy's puffy teddy bear coat <laughs> thing. What? <laughs> what? She looks like she's in a sleeping bag. I don't <laughs> understand. I think it was fashion in the early aughts, but I'm just... Still it was distracting. It Sarah was Michelle distracting. Geller can make anything look good. <laughs> I mean, and if I wanted to get like really symbolic, really uh-huh. deep into the symbolism of everything, I would talk about Glory's backless dress and how mm-hmm. she is one thing from one side and one thing from another side. Yeah. But no, that was also early aughts fashion. But the one, <laughs> the one clothing choice that I do think is actually a little bit, yeah, a little bit significant is. Anya and Xander, when they're being interviewed by yeah. the Watchers Council, look like they're they look like they're going to I don't know, like Christian premarital counseling. Oh. They look so uh, prim. Uh, uh, they look so like they ironed 
for their well, watchers. She's from Kenzo. Illinois, where she was born, and in- or Indiana, where she was born and raised by a mother and a father. By both a mother and a both father. A oh mother God, and poor a Anya. Poor Anya. <laughs> but when I mean, when Anya and Xander break out the iron, you know. Oh yeah, like, shit's real. It's shit's real. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. So what's your girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl power bit. I mean, it has to be. We have to give it to that that Buffy speech. The Buffy right? speech like, with the not... watchers. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that that's, you know. She's like, I love no interruptions. <laughs> I, I believe I said no interruptions. And I love it when Lydia says, um, I, I, I don't want a sword thrown at me, but. <laughs> <laughs> right? So oh, my cute. God. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. All right. So what's your favorite part? <laughs> it's Glory eating the mailman and coming back to life, complete with hair and makeup. That's pretty good. I mean, it's when I good. have a good, I mean, I will have a good meal and I never come out with I never hair and like makeup that. done. I Doesn't, I want, I want this God power. This is the one yes. I want. That is of all the I God want. powers, of all the superpowers. I just want oh, to be yeah. able to like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Of all the superpowers, just flawless yep. hair and makeup Absolutely. all the time. Flawless Are you kidding me? I think that would that's be legit. so good. I think that's legit. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, for me, it's Buffy's speech. I mean, I, I love that whole ending. I love the way that she takes them down. I love the fact that Quentin Travers is wetting himself as he asks for a scotch. I think that that's fantastic and way past due. So I loved it. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on social media. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter, and I am at Noella Loud on Instagram, and the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our June producers. Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. And this week's special message for our power producers, I wrote my thesis on you. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or seduce the Slayer and bang the key out of her. We'll be back next time with Blood Ties, the 13th episode of season five. Until then, what level are you at? Five. Five.